Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you today. I am honored to be able to, to share God's word with you today. Please turn with me to John chapter 15. We'll be starting at verse 11 in a little bit. So on your devices or in your Bibles, John 15, chapter 11. Everything I share with you today comes from the perspective of a 62-year-old man who has been a father and a grandfather, taught uh, students in school, and has been a pastor, and also comes from the perspective of a man who has been saved by grace and who desperately needed that grace. I'll begin with a story. There was a granddaughter whose grandfather was reading a bedtime story to him. As he was reading the story, she just was kind of staring at him, and she reached up and she put her hand on his wrinkled face, and she said, Grandpa, did God make you? And he said, yes, yes, honey, God made me. And he went on to read the story, and then she was touching her own face, and she kind of hesitated again, and she said, Grandpa, did, did God make me? And he said, oh, yes, of course, honey, God made you. And she thought a little bit, and she said, he's getting better at it, isn't he? Now, that could have been my granddaughter, but she would have given details. Uh, we saw her on Thursday night together with uh, my daughter and my uh, son-in-law. And somebody, I th my wife, for some reason, said, well, you're, you're, you're Gampy. That's what they call me. You're Gampy's handsome. And she said, well, he kind of is, but he's losing his hair. His ears are kind of big. He's a little overweight. And she went, she, I had to stop her. Because the list was just going on and on. So I, I had to stop her. But that, that's what it's sometimes raising kids or grandkids or being a, a father figure or a mentor is not always easy. I have two objectives today. Number one, I want to remind us that God is a loving, gracious father. For some people, Father's Day may not be a happy day. There are people who are missing fathers or missing sons who would have been fathers. Or there are people who had missing fathers who weren't there. And I want to be able to minister to all of you today. And the antidote to that problem is a loving God. But I also want to help some of the men and the fathers here, fathers and father figures, to think about some things about being a father. Now, I'm going to rattle through some things relatively quickly, but the notes for that section are up there in the front on one of the chairs, so you don't have to take the notes. You can just go and grab one. And as I said, this is for dad, fathers and father figures. This morning, I had the privilege of receiving several texts from grown men who are fathers themselves who wished me a happy Father's Day because of my place in their lives. 
So if your children are grown up and far away, your grandchildren are far away, whatever the case might be, you can be a father figure to someone who needs it. I'll acknowledge that in this room, Nick and Rich were father figures to me during my childhood, which just goes to show you how old as dirt they are. <laughs> Thank you very much. Luke chapter 15, the forgiving father. Let's read verse 1 first. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is the context of this story we're going to hear. Jesus is there eating with, speaking to, teaching those who were considered sinners by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In this context, they are upset about this. They don't understand why this Jewish rabbi is giving his attention to these people that they think do not deserve it. And guess what? In this story, that's, that's you and I. Jesus goes on to tell three parables. To my knowledge, this is the only time where Jesus tells three stories to prove a point. So this is a crucial point. He talks about a lost coin. He talks about lost sheep. And he talks about a lost son. And we're going to read about that lost son right now. John chapter 15, verses 11 and following. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off to a distant land, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So he is a Jewish young man working for a Gentile. A Jew would not have pigs. And his job now is pig feeder. This is probably the worst, one of the worst states that a person could find themselves in. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Can you imagine feeding pigs and saying, that's what I wish I had? I mean, what are you eating if pig slop is desirable to you? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, how does his father see him when he's far away? Because he is looking for him every single day. 
His attention is looking out in the direction that his son walked away in. He probably watched him until he got over the last hill and couldn't see him anymore. And every day he is there waiting to see if this son returns. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The threw his arms around him is like he ran up and draped his arms around him and collapsed. You'll notice most pictures have it the other way around. The son is the one that's collapsed. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he goes, he wants to finish his practiced speech, but the father interrupts him. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Why? Because fat gives taste. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate with a barbecue. Now this story is extremely impressive to us, but it's even more impressive if you understand it in the context. In the first century in the Roman world that they were all a part of, Rome was... The, the predominant nation at the time, when a woman gave birth to a child, she would bring the child and present it to the father. And just like you may have seen on some gladiator movie, when she presented the child to the father, the father would sit there and make an evaluation. Does this child live or does this child die? And he could simply go like this and the child would be killed. That's cultural context then. We have some similarities in our culture, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Say, well, but that's the Romans. That's not the Jews. You have to understand in this culture, according to the old, there are several verses in the Old Testament. If your child is rebellious, you can bring them to the civil court and you could have him killed for his rebellion because we don't want a bunch of rebellious kids in our community. Now, we don't know how many times that was used, but that was a possibility. In Jewish writings, something like this, there are warnings against if your son or your wife asks for too much of, of your wealth, don't give it to them where they might end up being in control of you someday. Hold on to everything you can. Don't give anyone else power over you. And we have to understand when this son, this is the second son, the younger of the two sons, when he asks for his portion, that is a third of his father's wealth. A third of the family business. When he said this, a third of their capital is gone. These are people in an agrarian society. They have, they have a farm. They have cattle or sheep. They have plants. What did he do? Did he have to sell off a third of his land? This affected him greatly financially. And he knew his son was a knucklehead. But it also affected him emotionally. 
Because for him to say, I want my portion of the estate, is literally like saying, I wish you were dead and out of the way. This is why he says, look, I know I can't be a son anymore, but when I get back, maybe I can just be one of dad's servants. Why isn't he saying, I'm going to go back and ask for forgiveness, and I'll be the black sheep, but I'll still be a part of the family. He knows that's out of the question. There is no way he deserves to be a part of the family again. He understands that. Maybe his dad will be forgiving enough to allow him to just be one of the servants. But that's not the response we see at all, is it? That father is looking for him every day. You see, in the one picture there, the father kind of running towards the son, that's not what it looked like. You can't run in those robes. He had to do what they call gird up your loins, which is take the bottom of that robe, tuck it in, take the next layer, tuck it in. His father was like running around in shorts. And at that time, that was considered extremely disrespectful and uncouth. You would never, as an adult man, father, be running around with your robe pulled up like that. Not only does nobody want to see that, but it was just something you wouldn't do. But his father didn't mind being undignified because he cared so much about the son now every single person that heard that story when jesus told it would have expected that son to have been severely punished and jesus just laid them out with this story this son gets what he doesn't deserve as if nothing ever happened from a father who is looking for him every day and rushes towards him doesn't even make him finish his apology. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I'll forgive, but they need to apologize. The father didn't wait for the whole speech. He cuts his son off. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're my son. And this is what God has done for us. Talk about undignified. We think of Jesus on the cross, and we think of it from a human perspective. We think of a human being going through all of that pain and all of that torture. But Jesus was not just human. He was divine. Jesus was present when the world was created. Jesus never had a beginning and will never have an end. That's not just a really nice man on that cross. That is God on the cross. Can you imagine just going from God to human being is such a tremendous step down that we cannot imagine it. But from God to a human being who is stripped down to nothing but a loincloth and beaten and spit on and tortured and given all kinds of nasty things against him, hanging on a cross and experiencing death for the first time ever in that very undignified way just as the father was undignified to win back the heart of the son God has been undignified to win back our hearts and he is a loving and a forgiving father and if you have seen him as anything else if we or if the church or if the church in general has represented him as anything else this is how God chose to reveal himself 
through a father who does things that nobody would believe to win back the heart of his son and through a savior who would do things that no one could understand to win back the hearts of his sons and daughters. I had a student one time who said, well, that, that's not really very nice of God. I mean, you know, yes, Jesus died for us, but look at the father. He just sat up there and watched. I said, you've never been a parent. Because any parent knows they would die themselves on the cross before watching their child go through any kind of torture. This was not just torture for Jesus. This was torture for the father as well. So, what is our meaning here? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. The fact that we are considered his children is this tremendous outpouring of love for us. And so I want to do a little application. God loved us so much. How can we apply that as fathers? And how can we apply that as regular people? Now, you may ask, if you're not familiar, why in the world, when you talk about applying the scripture, do you have a picture of paints and a paintbrush up there? Because truth, like paint, is useless unless it's applied. So we have this truth that God loves us so much. How do we apply that to our lives? First, I want to talk to the fathers and the father figures. Now, some of this is for fathers of young children. If your children are grown up, you may want to apply it to different degrees. If you are a mentor, you may want to apply it in different degrees. But here are some of my thoughts after being a dad and a granddad and a teacher and a pastor about fathers raising children. Remember, these notes are over there on the chair. God chose to reveal himself to us as a father predominantly. There are scriptures that talk about God like a mother hen. There are scriptures that talk about God as a husband. But God's predominant revelation of himself is that he is a father. Now, dads, what that means for you is you have the absolute awesome responsibility of representing a concept of God to your children. As a pastor's counseled a lot of inner city people, I had people who would come to me after a sermon like this and say, I don't understand when you say God is a father. My father was never around. I don't know what a father is. I had people who came to me and said, I can't even listen to a sermon like this because my father sexually abused me when I was a child. And so when I hear these scriptures, there's pain rather than comfort that comes. The wonderful hope I had was that I could point them to a heavenly father who was everything that their earthly father was not. But you dads out there, your sons and your daughters, when they think about God, they are going to translate that thought from what they experience from you. Now, we saw how God revealed himself as a dad. 
He's looking for that son every day. Doesn't care what anybody else thinks so he can run and love on his son. Forgives him for things he shouldn't be forgiven for. How can we live like that? Sometimes we think we have to be tough on our kids, especially our boys. We have to prepare them for the world. You have to prepare them for the kingdom of God on earth, and you have to prepare them for heaven too. And you know what? The world will prepare them for the tough things. There's plenty of disappointment out there. What your children need is to know that there is one place and one person that they can go to that no matter what they do, no matter what they experience, no matter what takes place in their life, there is one place that they can go where they are loved and they are accepted and they will find help. That's a foundation from which to grow a life, not get kicked around enough so you're tough enough and searching for love forever. But to know I have a mother, I have a father who loves me so deeply that no matter what happens, there is a place of help and hope and love and acceptance. And when they are raised in that, when someone says, well, God is your father, they understand that. So a few things. Number one, look for the good to compliment, not just the bad to correct. Do you remember when Jesus was being baptized? God said, this is my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. As parents, we often look for what is it that I need to fix in them? Take your time and pay attention to the things that you can see that are good. And you should be complimenting the good more than you're correcting the bad. It works all over the place. It works for waiters and waitresses. I've had a waiter that, w- that came up that was a little snippy. And instead of saying, you know, pal, I'm giving you a tip, maybe. You might want to watch that attitude. I said, you know, I can see that you guys are slammed today. With all the people that are here, you're doing a great job. And that turned everything around. And it does the same with our kids. Look for the good and make sure you compliment that. Number two, weed out roots of bitterness in your own life. If you're bitter toward God, you need to deal with that so you don't pass that on to your kids. If you're bitter with the church, you need to deal with that so you don't pass that on. You don't realize it, but the bitterness that you have affects your children if you are bitter toward your family or bitter toward your spouse you need to deal with those things before they affect your children in hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 the author of hebrews writes see to it that no one falls short of god's grace and that no root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble and defile many See, you may not realize it, but others, including your children, there is an aura of bitterness sometimes that shows up when you have not dealt with your own pain. 
We have a loving father you can bring it to. Bring it to him. Get it fixed. Get it taken care of. Wrestle with whatever it is you need to wrestle with so that you don't pass it on to the next generation. And you know what? I was taught once, whatever you do in moderation, your children will probably do in excess. So if you're kind of upset at the church, your kid will hate the church. If you're kind of upset at your spouse, your kid will hate your spouse. If you're kind of upset at your family, your kids might hate your family. Number three, do not exasperate your children. We are all familiar with the verses that say, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, children obey your parents. Don't show me with a raise of hands, but how many of you have whipped that baby out? You know, the Bible says children obey your parents. You're going to burn in hell. Now, we're not familiar with it, but in the first century Rome, this is a part of a particular genre, a particular type of writing called a house code. Now, the Roman house codes went like this. Wives obey your husbands. Children's obey your fathers. That's it. In scripture, wives and children are given this absolutely wonderful gift that it's not just obey, but wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. What type of love? Agape love. What is agape love? A love that sacrifices everything for the good of another. We, all of us men fall short there. Children obey your parents, but fathers don't exasperate your children. Now, the Greek word for exasperate is perigisto, which means to rouse someone to anger, particularly by being so close to them. It means, one definition is pushing their buttons up close and personal, hovering over your children in a way that you are paying attention to every single thing they do, and every time they do something wrong, you tell them so that they feel at one point, I can't do anything right. And the advice of Scripture is, no, don't do that, Dad. Back off a little bit. Find the positive. Don't criticize your children so much that their only response is hopelessness and anger. The child that grows up thinking they can never please dad will grow up thinking they can never please God. Next one. Remember, you are raising individuals, not building widgets. Every one of your children is different. If you get to the point with your first one that you feel like, wow, we survived that one. We got the code down. No, you don't. <laughs> God sits in the heavens and laughs. Every one of your children is different. How many of you are familiar with the five love languages? All right, if you're not, you need to be. If you need to know the website, I've got little pieces of paper up here with the website on it. 
the, the concept of the five love languages was uh, started by Dr. Gary Chapman. He's a pastor, a Christian author, a uh, Christian speaker. And he said that there are five languages of love, and each of us experiences love in different ways. There are five main ways. The first one is words of affirmation. Some of us experience love when somebody says, good job. The second one is acts of service. I experience love because you tighten the wheels on my bicycle for me. Physical touch. Some people experience love because somebody puts their arm around them or gives them a pat on the back. There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but about Marilyn Monroe. The story goes like this. She received absolutely no affection as a child. So when her mother would apply her makeup, she'd put the lipstick on, she'd take a tissue, dab it to take off the excess, and throw the tissue in the trash. The story goes that as a little girl, Marilyn Monroe would grab those tissues out of the trash and put them on her cheek. because her mother never kissed her. And that was the closest she could get. Some people experience love through gifts or tokens of affection. And other people experience it with quality time. Now imagine if your child experiences love best with quality time and you give them a gift. Great job, son. Here you go, bought you this. And they're craving your time, and the gift means nothing to them. So I would recommend you find out what your children's love languages are. While you're at it, find out what your spouse's love language is. I had a leader's training group, and in that leader's training group, I would make everyone take tests, and this was one of them. Find out what your love language is. And there were a married couple in their 70s. And after they took the test, I asked everybody in the class, how'd the test go? And nobody said, some, come, some people said some things. But after the class, this, the wife of this couple came up to me and said, I think you just saved our marriage. They're in their 70s. She said, I never understood this guy. I gave him what I thought I would want from him, and that wasn't what he wanted. He gave me what he thought I would want, and that wasn't what I wanted. And so we went through all these years feeling unloved, and both of us were trying so hard. And it was getting to the point where we were so frustrated. All of your children aren't alike. We get, took this test with our kids, and we have three kids, and all three of them totally different. Aggravating. The scripture says to us in Proverbs 22, 6, raise a child in the way that he should go. Now, predominantly, that means raise him right. And there are general things that all children should be taught. No, there's no child for whom lying is good. But we also, if we really love and care about our children, have to help them define their way in the world. Who's really inside there? How can I nurture that? How can I bring that out? And finally, love means discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. 
And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. The concept of discipline is much broader than punishment. We even see that in this verse. He disciplines and chastens. Chastens is discipline. Punishment, I mean. The discipline part is way broader than just punishment. Think of verbs like warn, instruct, teach, guide. My grandfather taught me when I was young. You see that that tree, it's growing crooked. You got to grab a piece of string and put a piece of stick in the ground and tighten that string up. You got to help it to grow up right. And punishment is not your only tool by far. Sometimes it's the easiest. It's the quickest. Sometimes it's in anger, it's the one that seems best. And I want to encourage you, do not instruct or punish your children when you're angry. If you need to walk away, walk away and come back. Do not punish or instruct your children when you're mad. The message comes across is not going to be the same. Let me tell you a story from our own lives. One of my children, I don't want to mention his name because Justin might watch this, so I won't say who it was. (laughs) I came home late from work, which I often did, said goodnight to him and sent him to bed. He was not happy. So when he was up there in his room, my wife and I are just trying to have a little bit of time quiet together. He started saying, I don't want to be in my room. I don't want to. They got all kind of energy. I don't want to be in my room. I don't want to be in my room. I don't want to. I stopped talking. I said, you know what he did? Language of, of law, you know, the, the letter of the law. I don't want to be in my room. I don't want to be in my room. So I told you to stop talking. I'm singing. Stop talking and stop singing. I'm, this is the truth. You know, you hear pastors tell stories and you're like, well, that's probably made. This one's real. So I said, I do not want to hear any noise at all from up there. He was quiet for a while. I think he was really thinking. He was on the second floor. We're on the first. We had uncarpeted stairs that went down right near where we were. And all of a sudden, a tennis ball came bouncing down the stairs. Ting, 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 ting. I looked at my wife like, oh, you got to be kidding. Well, that didn't get enough rise out of us. So the next thing was a tennis ball. Ting, boom, 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 boom. A little while later, a baseball. Boom, 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 boom. 
A little while later, a softball, slightly larger. Boom, 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 boom. After that, a basketball. <laughs> Almost hit our window. I knew that in the closet next to his room was my bowling ball. So I went running up the stairs and I said, what is your problem? What is wrong with you? I wanted to take my belt off and snap it a few times to scare him. And I kind of wanted to do more with it. And he looked up at me and said, I didn't get a chance to talk to you today. Now, I could have whooped on him. I could have yelled louder. I might have been able to out-talk him. But the solution to that problem wasn't punishment. The solution to that problem was I sat down and I talked to him. And a little while after that, he was fine. He went to bed. And every time I came home late, I would sit down and say, Justin, how was your day today? Well, I, I can't say every time. I tried to spend that time. And we never had another singing, whistling, humming, talking sports fest again. Some application for all of us. We are told in John, 1 John 3 about that love that God lavished on us. But it goes on to say, everyone who has this wonderful message purifies himself. God loves us so much, such a wonderful, forgiving father, willing to do so much for us. Let's live a life that is worthy of him. And I want you to be sure to receive and celebrate that father's love, particularly if you did not experience it from your earthly father. Search out all the wonderful things that it means that you have an Abba, a heavenly daddy. And we can't stop there. We've got to share the good news of a wonderful daddy with other people who so desperately need to hear it. In conclusion, dads, with everything I shared, you might say, oh man, I've messed up, I failed. Remember the son that failed. Just go back to the father. He loves you, he accepts you, and he wants to help you do better from now on. Don't stay where you are. Move forward. For those of you that had a good or a great father like I did, Celebrate that fact and learn from it and figure out who God is to you that way. For those of you who did not, God wants to heal your heart. Ask him to reveal himself to you personally as your heavenly daddy. And please, this wonderful news can't be kept to ourselves. Let's share it with other people. What if that younger son had a couple other younger kid brothers than that? 
after he came home and received that reception from his father, don't you think he would have found them in the pig troughs that they were in and said, hey, guys, come back. Dad loves us. We need to do the same. We want to close the service today by praying for all the men of the church. You, if, whether you're a father or a father figure, just come on up, guys. Just come on up, all the men. I'm going to pray for you in general. If you need any particular ministry, please feel free to stay. I'm going to ask Pastor Rick to join me up here, and we're going to pray for all of you. Remember, if you want any of those notes, they're down there on the seats. And if you want to find out where you can find out your love language, your wife's love language, and the love languages of your children, the website address is there. Pastor Rick, would you join me up here? Would you pray a blessing over these men and then I'll pray as well. Bow your heads, please. Women. Raise your hands up toward these brothers, fathers, husbands. You are seated on the throne of heaven, and yet you're so familiar with all of us. We call you Father because our Lord Jesus called you I and the Father of one. If you know me, you know my dad. You know us intimately. As I extend my hand, Father God, I speak in the name of Jesus. We want to bless every single man in this church. We're mindful of our pastor who is on the road traveling. We would ask, Lord, just like us here, that you would bless him, that you are rising in the morning, our going down at nighttime. God, you would be with us. We would pray that all of us here would always understand your voice. We pray, Lord God, that we would let you guide our steps, that we would not be influenced politically or otherwise, but by your voice. My sheep know my voice. There is but one kingdom. It is your kingdom. It's not the kingdom of this earth. It's not the Lord of this earth. It is you that matters. So, Father, bless every man that is standing here and our pastor who is on the road, that we would always hear your voice. And always know that you love us. You care for us. Be with our children. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.